in a few days, and we're looking for it. I trust you are as well. Take your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. <clears throat> I'm going to continue in this chapter. Uh, last week when I, boy, I tore a page in my Bible. Can you believe it? Last week I uh, started with a message in Ephesians 5, and then we finished it this morning, and I'm just going to pick up where I had prepared one. For actually, this morning, I was going to preach this message, <clears throat> but uh, I'm going to preach it tonight, and then we'll, I'll have a Thanksgiving message on Tuesday evening at 7 o'clock. Uh, sometimes we do that on Sunday before Thanksgiving, but not always. But this year, we're going to, we'll do it, we do, do it every Tuesday before Thanksgiving, so we'll have a Thanksgiving message there, so we'll take a break for one week. From We've been going through the book of Revelation in chapter 4. Now we'll start chapter 5. Uh, not this week, but the following week. All right, why don't you stand with me as I read the Word of God out of respect to the Word. And we'll begin our reading tonight in Ephesians 5 and verse 8. <clears throat> For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye the light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For is it a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret? But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light, for whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore, he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light." Lord, I pray that you will bless our Bible time this evening. Obviously, it's the most important thing that we do here tonight is open up the Word of God and make the sense of the text and try to make application for our lives. And I pray that everybody will have an open heart, an open spirit, a teachable mind, and that they would learn and they would grow and they would be more and more conformed into the image of Christ as we continue to see a little bit more uh, in this particular book of what we are supposed to be. And we'll thank you, I'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. <clears throat> and so this section continues the emphasis on the believers being, and notice it says in verse 1, be ye therefore followers of God. So it continues with the whole concept or the whole idea of being followers of God or imitators of God or mimickers of God. Now the first way that we imitate God, as we've studied the last two messages that we've had from Ephesians 5, is we imitate God that is in his love, which Paul shows both it's true, and then as we covered this, covered this morning, the, the counterfeit forms of love as well. And so with Christ himself being our perfect example, and that was the first seven verses. This second focus on us imitating God, or on us being followers of Christ, followers of God, is in relation to light. So you had the first one in love, and now you have the second one in relation to light, which we are called to be. Jesus said in Matthew's gospel, he said, ye are the light of the world, and ye are the salt of the earth. We are to be salt, and we are to be light. And so now we're talking about us being called to be light. You know, this Bible says quite a bit about light. The scripture speaks of God as our light and our salvation in Psalm 27 and verse 1. It talks about an everlasting light in Isaiah 60 and verse 19. The Bible says that his word is called a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path in Psalm 119 and verse 105. Jesus is called the light to the nations in Isaiah 49, 6. And the true light 
and that lights every man that cometh into the world in John 1 and verse 9. And he is called the light of the world in John 8 and verse 12 when he says, I am, and in one of the seven I am's, he says, I am the light of the world. Now, if we are followers of God, we share in and we reflect God's light because God is light and in him is no darkness at all. God's word is light and Jesus is the light of the world and we are to imitate that light or his light. Now in scripture, <clears throat> light has two figurative aspects. The first one is intellectual and the second one is moral. Intellectually, it represents truth. Sometimes we say God enlightened them or God illuminated their mind and they finally came to the place where they understand truth. I was talking to a, a good gentleman here recently <clears throat> and it was, I don't know, even know what we were discussing, but it was just like, oh, I get it. It's like the light came on. Listen, I've had that happen to me. Oh yeah, how did I not ever see that before? But that's what God does. And so it's intellectually, it represents truth. And secondly, morally, it represents holiness. To live in light means to live in truth and to live in holiness. Now, the figure of darkness also has two aspects, intellectually and morally. You say, well, that's the same thing. I know it is. Intellectually, it is ignorance and falsehood. They don't know the truth. They have no spiritual discernment lost people. They can't under, they don't get it. When you witness to somebody and you say, well, they just like they don't get it. Well, you're right, they don't get it. They can't get it. They don't have the spirit of God living within them and you're trying to show them the truth and they don't get it. And morally, it connotes evil. Now, the intellectual aspect of both of these figures pertain to what a person knows and believes and the moral aspect to what he thinks and how he acts. Now, in 2 Corinthians, Paul spoke about the intellectual aspect. In Isaiah chapter 5, many of you know this verse, Isaiah spoke of both the intellectual and the moral when he said this, Woe unto them that call evil good, and good what? Evil. That put darkness for light, and light for darkness. They put bitter for sweet, and sweet for bitter. They get it all backwards. That's what happens. Both the teaching and the praise of those people were corrupt. Now, Paul pleads, and I'm not going to turn to a lot of scripture here tonight, but I want you to turn to Romans chapter 13. In <clears throat> verse 12, Romans 13, 12, Paul pleads, he says, The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. And then he adds verse 13, let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering or and wantonness, not in strife and envying. People who walk and know the light don't do those things. We don't live like that. We don't act like that. We don't even think like that. People who belong to God walk in light. They walk in light both intellectually and morally. John said, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. And if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. We don't love the things of the world. We, we don't. So our text this evening 
Paul mentions five practical things that we should recognize in order to faithfully walk in light. Now, we're to walk in light as we are called. Now, I want you to notice verse 8. <clears throat> For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye the light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Now, I want you to notice the contrast there. Paul's contrast is between, every, is, is in it from every believer, is what we were before salvation to what he intends us to be after salvation. Now, the young people, they didn't sing it tonight, but sometimes they sing the song, there's been a great change since I've been born again. And they sing it, there's been a great, great change, change, and they chant it back and forth. But that's, that's what happens. When a person is saved, there is an unbelievable change in that person's life. And in doing that, he simply states that what should be obvious, <clears throat> a person who has been saved from sin uh, through, through, the, through the blood of Jesus Christ should live as a redeemed, purified child of God. We ought to. That ought to be normal. And he uses two words to contrast this, darkness and light. By the way, the next time you read through your Bible, I think 2 Thessalonians, it contrasts day people and night people. The Christian is likened unto day people. The lost people are likened unto night people. We are of the day, they are of the night. They don't get it, and we're supposed to get it. And so here Paul uses the phrase darkness and light. Now, it said in verse 8, were, what we were. It's a condition that no longer exists. That's, mean, that's what the word means. Earlier in the letter, turn back to chapter 2 and verse 1, he wrote this. And he says, You hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sin, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, <clears throat> the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in time past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. That's what we were. But we're no longer like that. Both intellectually and moral darkness are a thing of the past. They are not a thing of the present. Not for the believer anyway. So, this is what we were, past tense. Before salvation, we were intellectually and morally in darkness. We weren't victors of Satan's system. We were contributors to Satan's system. We were more than in sin. We were by our very natures characterized by sin. Now, let me, let me just use myself as an illustration, if I may. Before salvation, intellectually, thank you, Matt, thank you, Matt. Before salvation, if somebody would have said, what's your position on, on abortion? I'd have said, fine, everybody's doing it. Why not do it? Have an abortion. That's okay. What do you think about a guy and a girl living together? That's fine. I got no problem with that. Everybody's doing it. Why not? Everybody enjoys all kinds of stuff. Well, you're a young man. I was saved at 21. What about this pornography thing? Eh, it's out there. It's legal. I guess it's okay. No big deal. So you go on. You're living moral. You curse. You take God's name in vain. You drink. And all of that stuff, you're like, okay. I didn't have a problem taking drugs. I mean, everybody did it. It was just never was like I just thought it was the stupidest thing ever even before I was saved. But I know. But I, I didn't have a problem with other people doing it. So all of that outward stuff was like, 
Intellectually, I was all good with it. And then light entered. Do you know who light is? It's Jesus. And then light entered, and 100% intellectually, my thinking changed. I mean, it just changed. And once my thinking changed, what follows? Behavior, your actions. Once my thinking changed, my actions changed. There are four characteristics I want to mention quickly, and I'm not going to elaborate on them hardly at all. I was going to, but I'm not. Uh, four characteristics of the spiritual darkness. First of all, I want you to understand <clears throat> it is a work of Satan. It is a work of the devil. All who are not the children of God are the children of Satan, or as Jesus told the Pharisees, you are of your father, the devil. They were. That's who their father was in John 8. It can be different for even believers to imagine that law-abiding, decent, what we would consider decent, pleasant unbelievers that we run into every day to say to them, you know, they're children of the devil. That's hard for people to accept, but the fact is they are children of the devil. Every person is one or the other. You are either a child of God or you are a child of Satan, and then there's no other kind of spiritual childhood. You're not somewhere in the middle. You're not over that way or over that way. You're either a child of God or you're a child of the devil, even though there are various kinds of lifestyles. So first of all, it's a work of Satan. Secondly, this spiritual darkness, this is uh, the domain of Satan. It's his domain is darkness. Jesus said, when I was daily with you in the temple, ye stretched forth no hands against me. But this is your hour, the power of darkness. And then uh, let me skip down here a little bit. Thirdly, spiritual darkness brings God's penalty. Look here in verse 6. Let no man deceive you with vain words. For because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. So spiritual darkness brings God's penalty. And then fourthly, spiritual darkness leads to the ultimate destiny of eternal darkness. The one who doesn't believe on the Lord Jesus, the Bible says, but the children of the kingdom shall be cast into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then, of course, John 3, 16 and 36 both tell us that he that believeth not is condemned already because he believeth not on the only begotten Son of the Father. Now, that the world is confused and unjust and wicked and corrupt and hopeless is testified by every sensible person out there, whether a believer or unbeliever. But there is a constant compulsion to sin. It's there all the time to deceive, to lie, to steal, to commit immorality, to kill, to do every kind, other kind of evil that you can imagine. And yet when God offers Jesus to pay for everybody's sin and the gift of eternal life, more often than not, men turn away. Why? Why do more people turn away than accept or believe? Because their righteousness, uh, his righteousness and goodness reveals to them their own sin and their own wickedness. That's, look at John 3. The kids quoted John 3, 16, but look at verse 19. And this is the condemnation. The light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds were evil. So, because their deeds are evil, they love darkness rather than light. For everyone that doth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, 
that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. They're just in darkness. The other part of the contrast, what we were, children of darkness and part of Satan's dominions, but I want to get to the other part, what we are now. Look at verse 8 again. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now what are you? Ye are light in the Lord. And then he says, walk as children of light. Jesus said in Colossians, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and what? Has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. And then in 1 Peter 2, 9, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Jesus said in Matthew, ye are the light of the world. We are in the Lord. We are actually what it says here, light in the Lord. And we are also the light of the world. And as such, and listen, get this, walk and live that way. Like you understand and you really grasp that you are the light of the world. The contrast is what we were, children of darkness, and what we are, children of light. His light it is in us, and we are to walk in that light. Now, let me just say this, and I'm going to move on. If you say that you're a Christian, you name Jesus Christ as your Savior, you ought to walk like that, act like that, live like that. That ought to just be who you are. It's <clears throat> I was preaching at a pastor's conference once, and I said this. I said, listen, I was a Christian long before I was a pastor. We're supposed to live a Christian life, whether you're a pastor or a Sunday school teacher or whatever, you're supposed to be the light of the world. And it doesn't make any difference. If you name Jesus as your Savior, that's what you're supposed to do. Now then, verses 9 and 10, I want to look at these characteristics. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness in truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. They are called here the fruit of the Spirit. Now, it's not the same list as you find in Galatians chapter 5, is it? But they are characteristics or fruit of our walk as children of light in all goodness and truth. These are true tests of your faith, of a true saving relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I got on this some this morning. But there is an awful lot of people out there who say they're saved that aren't saved. And... Uh, I mentioned this morning, and I'm going to mention it again tonight. You need to be careful of telling people, well, you said a prayer one time so that you're automatically saved. Maybe not. A prayer doesn't save anybody. Faith and belief in Jesus Christ saves people. And there's this awful lot of people that walk around, <clears throat> and they say they're Christians, and they say they saved her. They know the Christian lingo anyway. But they live like they're children of darkness. And there is something wrong with that. So here, the characteristics or fruit of our walk as children of light are all in goodness, in truth. And they're a true test of our faith. A decision that somebody made somewhere for Christ, a prayer they said, church membership, faithful attendance at worship services, being baptized, financial support to the Lord's work, and many other things are used. Look at all these things. I do, I must be saved. 
And the faithful believers should do all of those things that I mentioned. But they are behaviors that can be done in the flesh. And they are not necessarily reliable evidences of a changed life and a saved soul. These three things that Paul mentions here are spiritual works where he talks about goodness and righteousness and truth. They're spiritual works. The first word he mentions is goodness. And while there are many Greek words for goodness, the one referred to by Paul here refers to moral excellence in being good in both nature and effectiveness. It is your nature that you are just a good person. It is expressed in that which is willingly and sacrificially done for others. Paul said, see that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. And then in 2 Thessalonians he said this, wherefore also we pray always for you, that our God would commit to you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith and power. Now let me ask you, when you see somebody, do you ever say, you know, that's just a good man. She's just a really good woman. They're just good, pleasant people. Just a little bit of what Paul's saying here. The goodness that is the fruit of the Spirit is also fruit of the light. The second result of a fruit of our walk as children of light is righteousness, he said, and has to do with our fellowship with God. Now here it has to do with how we live our life. And so Paul says in Romans 6, Neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. So here again, he's talking about living a holy life in such a way that you are, you, it's obvious. We desire, let me rephrase that. Do you really desire to pursue righteousness? If you're a believer, that ought to just be normal. That ought to be natural. You just pursue righteousness because that's what believers do. They strive for that. They're determined to reach that goal. They try to get there. Then, there's the, then it mentions, thirdly there in that verse, truth. That has to do with honesty, reliability, trustworthiness, integrity. You might even use the word character. And is a contrast to this hypocritical, deceptive, wicked ways of the old life of darkness. Now you have all these new things. Goodness pertains to our relationship with others. Righteousness pertains to our relationship with God. Truth primarily pertains to our own personal relationship and our own personal integrity. Without that fruit, there really is no evidence that the life of God is real in that person's life. In Matthew 7, verses 15 and, se uh, verse 15 and 16, Jesus said, Beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns? Or they do they gather figs out of the thistles? Well, no and no. Everybody bears some kind of fruit. It's either good or bad. Those in darkness, they bear bad fruit. Those in light, they bear good fruit. If there is no fruit of righteousness, can a person really claim genuine faith? Is there any, is there such a thing? So here's a question for you to ponder, to at least think about. Is there such a thing as a fruitless Christian? I mean, nothing. And a Christian can sin. And when he does, the fruitfulness of his life suffers. We all know that. Righteous fruit doesn't flourish where there is sin. And I think you know that. 
But the complete absence, and I mean absence of any fruit of goodness or righteousness or truth, you got to wonder, what if a true believer continues in unholiness and sin? I mentioned this morning, chastisement by the Lord and perhaps a premature death. That most likely could happen. A Christian's life is healthy where it's growing and producing fruit. Now our focus, look at verse 10. Proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. Listen, you don't have to prove anything that's acceptable unto me, although I'll notice it, I'm sure. But what you need to do is live a life that is acceptable unto the Lord. That's true for all of us. As we are obedient to what we know, our knowledge of the Lord and of his will increases and it deepens and it grows. We call that illumination. God continues to show us more and more. And as we are faithful to the light, then we are given more light. And we follow that light as we faithfully to the light. Now, here's the contrast. That's the characteristics of it. Thirdly, I want you to notice in verse 11, the command. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. So the command is really the first part of the verse, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. We shouldn't. We shouldn't have close fellowship with that. That means this. We don't partake in it, nor do we come up partaker together with others that are like that. Now, the child of light should not become involved in evil to the best of his ability, even in any association. Now, listen, I know that we cannot witness to the world if we don't go out into the world. You got to go out into the world if you're going to witness to lost people, right? And we cannot go far into the world before coming into contact with all sorts and all kinds of wickedness, and I know that. But we are never to allow that wickedness to be part of our own lives. I would even go so far to say that even in a business association, a believer should not be in partner with a non-believer. Because you're going to have problems down the road. To compromise God's standard is to weaken our witness as well as our character and as well as our testimony. Our thought life should be no act of, un of unrighteousness is acceptable to me because no act of unrighteousness is acceptable to God. By the way, we don't even fellowship with a, a fellow brother or sister in the Lord who is openly... Let's go back to 1 Corinthians 5. We looked at these two chapters a lot this morning. Chapter 5, I don't know why, it just kind of worked out that way. And 6. But 1 Corinthians chapter 5. We don't even fellowship with a fellow brother or sister in the Lord who is openly, grossly sinning. <clears throat> now go look at verse, oh, we'll start in verse 9. I wrote unto you, 1 Corinthians 5, I wrote unto you in an epistle, that is a letter, not to company with fornicators, yet not altogether with the fornicators of the world, or with the covetous or extortioners, or with idolaters, for then mushy needs go out into the world, because those are the people you're trying to win to Jesus. But verse 11 says this, But now I have written to you not to keep company if any man that is called a brother. Now he makes it specific about a Christian. If he's a fornicator, covetous, idolater, or a railer, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, with such as one, no, not to eat. Wow, that's pretty strong language. These deeds of darkness are specifically listed in chapters 4 and 5. And we don't even, we, we, we don't want to have any part with them. And then fourthly is the commission. And here's our commission. 
Verse 11, the end of the verse, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest, now watch this, by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Our responsibility goes further than not participating in their sinful ways. We are to reprove their sinful ways. Sometimes directly, sometimes and most often not directly. Because when we are living in obedience to God, we're the light. You see that rest of that verse there? We're the light when we live in obedience to God. That in of itself is a testimony against wrong. It convicts people. When people around us see us helping and not hurting, they hear us talking with purity instead of profanity, and hear us speak truthfully rather than deceitfully, that can be a re rebuke to unwholesome talking of people. I was working at the mill, and things were going bad, and uh, I told the guy that was, and it was, it really was the responsibility of a guy that was head of the lab. Mark, do you remember those big dip tanks we had, and every once in a while they'd spew over? Oh, well, you worked at Spargo. Did they have them? They might have had them there, too. And what a mess they'd make on the floor. I mean, and I went in one day, and part of my job was to keep this one building clean. So I cleaned it all up, got it all done. It wasn't three and a half minutes. Whoom! Right over the top, that thing spewed again. Boy, I was mad. And I was like, I got to clean this mess again. Why don't you peep? So here comes this guy named Larry. He was the boss. I says to him, I says, you guys need to get your act together, man, and stop this thing from doing this. And it's about how I said it. And I wasn't happy, as you can tell right there. And uh, so I got all my equipment back out, and I went back to cleaning up this mess. So he goes into the office, and he tells my, tells my boss, he says, what carpenter's mad up there? He said, blah, 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 blah. And my boss looked at him, and he said, nope, he never said that. He said, how do you know that? He says, he never talks that way. That's not part of his nature. He just doesn't talk that way. And he's right. I didn't talk that way. You don't have to talk that way to let somebody know you're not happy with everything, you know. You can reprove people in a godly way and in a righteous way without using profanity. There really, I mentioned several things this morning, but there is no place for profanity in the life of a believer. You say, well, I'm just working with the guys. You're to be different than the guys. You know, it's just that there's supposed to be a difference in the believer. So because we're light, just by doing right is a way to reprove them Simply refusing to participate in a dishonest business or a dishonest social practice. Not allowing yourself to get caught up in gossip. Asking those to stop or walking away. Uh, that can be a strong rebuke if you say, look, it, I don't want to hear this stuff. To many Christians, don't rebuke it or expose it because they don't take it seriously. And they laugh and they joke about things that are wicked and immoral and ungodly, and they find it entertaining, and they find it humorous, and that's an absolute shame that they see it that way. Now, you say, well, I don't do them, but you're kind of what I would say apathetic toward it. They may enjoy it from afar. You may allow television movies into your house that you wouldn't, wouldn't partake of the stuff that goes on there, or maybe you go to a movie and, and see some of that wickedness. I don't know. Verse 12. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. Our commission, part of it anyway, 
as children of light, is to hold everything up in the light of the Scripture, to expose it, and to seek a remedy. Christians somewhere, and I've mentioned this multiple times, probably back in, in the, probably right after the New Deal, but whatever. Christians made a horrible mistake when they backed themselves out of politics. And now the floodgates have opened. And then lastly, I want to mention the call, verse 14. Wherefore he saith, <clears throat> now I'm going to apply this two ways, but I think the first wake really does apply to a, a lost person. It says, awake thou that sleepest and arise from the dead. Christians aren't dead people. Dead people are lost people. But it's not, a, it's not a wrong thing to tell a church that wake up and get your head out of sand and start being salt and light in the world. So he says, wherefore he saith, awake thou that sleepest, arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. Wake up. It seems to be an invitation to the lost. And the end of verse 14, it says that Christ shall give thee light. He will give you light. So I think it's to the lost. It describes a sinner who is asleep in the darkness of sin and unaware of his lost condition and the eternal tragic destiny. They'll sleep through God's time of grace and unless somebody awakens them to their need. Arise from the dead, he said, is a call to come to Christ. Admit who you, what you are before the Lord as a sinner and come to Jesus. He's just made it obvious that all are sinners. The last phrase, he says, Christ shall give thee light. It's the good news that God has provided a remedy for every sinful person who will come to the truth in Jesus and trust Jesus as their Savior. Now, Horatio uh, Bonner wrote this. I heard the voice of Jesus say, I am this dark world's light. Look unto me, thou morn shall rise, and all the day be bright. I looked to Jesus, and I found him my star, my sun. In light of life, I'll walk till traveling days are done. Now let me say to the church, to the believers, we are to wake up out of our sleep. We are to get out there, reprove darkness, sometimes directly and, and most often, just by a good, godly lifestyle. That, what, did, what, did the, what did the scripture say? Uh, you're to show forth your good works. How's it say it? I'll get it in a minute. Your, many will see it and shall glorify your Father which is in heaven. You know the verse that I'm thinking of? Good, because I don't, evidently. <laughs> but anyway, you know what I'm talking about. The world is to see our good works, and they glorify our Father. And so we're to, as a church, we're to wake up. As a believer, you're to be the light of the world, and you are to be the light of life. I mean, that's what we're supposed to be. That's us. Proverbs sums it up like this. But the path of the just is as a shining light that shineth more and more unto the perfect day. We are to let our lights, now I got it, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. I knew it would come to me after a little while. All right, let's bow for prayer. Father, I pray, God, that you would show us the need to be salt, and this particular text, light, the light of the, wor the, light of, of, of the world. That's what you left us here. You left us here to be salt, and you left us here to be light. And while you are the true light, and John told us, you lighteth every man that comes into the world, you have commissioned us to go into the world and spread your light. And I pray we take it seriously. And there is a serious contrast 
between darkness and light. Not only did Paul mention it here, but all through 2 Thessalonians, it's the whole theme of the book. And so I just pray that the believers here tonight would see the responsibility and live in such a way that goodness and righteousness and truth, their whole life is based on those three things, every part of it. And we'll certainly praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, God bless you. Amber, thanks for your ministry and Melody. With the kids, you guys, that was a blessing. And uh, there's an offering basket over there if you want to put your tithe and offerings in that. Uh, your missions, if you're behind on your missions, get caught up. Although I, I don't know that anybody is or not. But uh, we'd appreciate that and, and wipe up a little bit. And uh, we'll see you Tuesday evening. God bless you. Have a good evening.